So hopefully you're there in Hebrews. Again, the book of Hebrews, it's written to Hebrews so that they would stop acting like Hebrews, right? That they would put on the new man, that they would each be the Christian, the disciple of Jesus, the apprentice of Jesus, that they were all meant to be. And the same is true for us. If we're here and we say, hey, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, that means that you're a disciple of Jesus, that you believe God's word, that you live by it, that you're a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus. So these same commandments, it's commandments for us, these same encouragements, the same battles they had, the same weaknesses they have. Hey, it's the same battles and weaknesses that we still have today. And chapter 13 is really cool. The first 12 chapters, you get a ton of doctrine, a ton of meat on, right? Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than angels. He's better than the law. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the temple, right? Jesus is better than everything, right? I hope that's our heart here, that there's nothing better in this world or that has ever existed. There's nothing better than our relationship with Jesus. But now in Hebrews chapter 13, it becomes super practical for us. It becomes super practical, super black and white, super, a super easy mirror for us to look into and say, wow, Lord, I'm doing a little bit better than I thought. And for us to go, wow, Lord, I got a whole lot more to go, right? That's what Hebrews 13 does for us. But uh, let's start off in chapter 12. We'll read verse 28, and then we'll roll into chapter 13. And it tells us, verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So again, the diving board for chapter 13 is that our focus is that this world is not our world. That this kingdom, this country, this is not ours for forever. This world will be shaken and only the eternal things will remain for all of eternity. And now if we're planning, if we're living for the kingdom that one day is coming that cannot be shaken, then we will have grace to one another. We'll have grace to the people in this world, whether they're freaking out or not freaking out, we'll have grace to them. And then it also tells us that we would be serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, being reminded, yes, Jesus is our brother, Jesus is our friend, Jesus is in heaven interceding on our behalf. But don't forget, Jesus had to die because our God is a consuming fire and because sin requires Death, sin requires a sacrifice. So don't forget all these things. Now the first thing he tells us is let brotherly love continue. In the Greek here, right, he says let Philadelphia abide. So do we all need to become Eagles fans or Flyers fans or Phillies fans? No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying that we should have 
deep brotherly friendships, that we should have deep brotherly affection, that we should have deep partnerships within the body of Christ. Again, one of the ways that God paints for us to getting saved is that we become adopted, right? And when you're adopted, you get adopted into a new family that you've done nothing to get adopted or to be in, right? For little babies, maybe they look really cute. But for most, right, most kids that get adopted, the parents don't know what they look like, right? It'd be pretty terrible. Mm, that baby's not that cute. I'm going to send them back, right? Give me another one to adopt. That's not what the Lord does with us. He adopts us when we don't deserve it. And now we're brought into a family. And now imagine if you'd get adopted into a family and you would say, I don't want to hang out with any of you. I want all the benefits. I want all the agape love from dad. But I don't want to see your face around here. Right? That would be kind of messed up. But as believers, sometimes that's exactly what we do. Again, be reminded, this is a young church. A few years after Jesus ascended into heaven and the people still had to be reminded, hey, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love abide within your church and let brotherly love abide in your personal life. This is what God's word is telling us. And again, Jesus himself was the one who started this commandment to his disciples and to us as well. That we should love one another. And that begins in the family of Christ. That begins in this new family that we are adopted into. And it should continue into each human being that we run into because man is made in the image of God. We can turn to John chapter 13. And here's where Jesus really starts this commandment for us within the New Testament. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Jesus is having the last supper with the disciples He's there to break bread with them, to spend time with them. He knows he's about to be arrested. He knows he's about to be taken away. He knows all the fake trials that await him. He knows all the things that await him. And he's breaking bread with his brothers, with the 12 disciples. And then in verse John chapter 13, verse 31, it says, So when he had gone out, this is after... Judas had left. It says, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself, him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, Jesus commanded the disciples to love one another as he loved them. Again, this is that word. Now it's not Philadelphia. Now it's that word agape. To have that God-like love for the 11 disciples left in the room. These same 11 disciples who were constantly bickering and fighting with one another. These same 11 disciples who were always trying to 
one-up one another, right? What was their most common topic of conversation was who's the greatest amongst us, right? Who's the best here? I think I'm better than you. What do you think, right? I think I'm going to, I deserve to be at Jesus' right hand and left hand when he's ruling in the kingdom. It's these same 11 disciples who all thought that they were too high and mighty to wash one another's feet. And yet Jesus commands them during that same meal, right after he washed their feet, he commands them, hey, the fruit of being a disciple of Jesus is that you have a love and an agape for fellow disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a fruit of being saved. Right? They're in the middle portions there in Hebrews. We got that warning to not live your Christian walk in a question mark. Don't live your Christian walk in a question mark. Am I really saved? Am I not really saved? If you don't have a love for other disciples of Christ, you're living and walking in a question mark. Jesus says, hey, this is fruit. This is proof, right? The proof is in the pudding. So I guess the, right, the pudding, or I don't even know what that really means, right? But the fruit of knowing that you're an actual disciple of Jesus is that you have love for the other people in this room. Now, you may look to your wife and say, hey, I got this. No, not just your wife, right? Not just your family. Not just your blood relatives. Not just your bestie that you grew up in the nursery with them and you've been together since the last 12 years or 20 years at church. Any random person sitting here in this room that you would have an agape love for them. That is fruit revealing that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now we turn to 1 John chapter 3, right? The disciple whom Jesus loved. 1 John chapter 3 he continues to write on this same topic and same idea, right? Let brotherly love continue. In 1 John chapter 3, he tells us in verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We go one more chapter to the right, and in 1 John chapter 4, he continues this same idea. John chapter 4, verse 18, it tells us, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him. Because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. 
Again, family, John goes on to tell us that loving the brothers and sisters in the family of God is a fruit of knowing that you have been regenerated. Having a love for the brethren, it's, again, proof that now you're going to heaven, that your life, your soul, your spirit has passed from going to death to now going to life. That your soul is now no longer going to inherit hell for all of eternity, but your soul is going to inherit heaven for all of eternity. This is a part of the fruit of that, that you have a love for your brothers and sisters, for the family that you have been adopted into. Then he told us in chapter 4 that if we do not love our brother, we are abiding with death. Look at the contrast there, right? Jesus tells us to abide with him. We talked about that a couple times. That's sometimes what you do with your kids or with your spouse, someone you really love, that you put your head on their shoulder, right? That you just put your arm around them. Now, definitely during COVID, you don't do that to a stranger, right? You're not just there in public and you cross your six feet, right? And you just put your head on the shoulder of someone next to you, right? It's not going to fly, But look at the contrast there. Instead of abiding with Christ, instead of sitting there snuggling right next to Jesus, you're sitting there snuggling with death itself. That's the warning there to us. And now if we have hatred in our heart for another believer, the warning to us is that you do not have eternal life abiding in you. Family, this is a great warning for us. Do you feel a little nervous? I felt nervous reading this. I said, whoa, is there anybody that I I don't love? Is there any other believer that I hate? Again, family, do you love the people in this room? Do you love to spend time with them? Do you love to do things for them? Do you love to do things with them? Do you love to serve them? Do you love to minister to them? Do you love to be with them in the heights and most important days of life? And you also love being with them during the lows and toughest days of life. If you do, it's because you love them. And it's not just your mom. It's not just your dad. It's not just your bestie. It's the body of believers. It's the family that we have been adopted into. And now this goes into the next sphere, right? Now it's not just our family here at Calvary Chapel of Miami, but now it goes into the next sphere. Fear of other believers, other Christians. Again, sadly, how does the unbelieving world see two people who claim to be Christians? How does the world see them acting towards one another? How does the world see one another engaging online or in social media, right? Are we being biblical? Can we say that I am chatting as Jesus would chat, right? I am commenting as Jesus would comment. I am posting as Jesus would post. Or am I being a black eye in the face of Christ, being disobedient to scriptures? Because if there's another Christian that I think that is living in a way that is not right during 2020, what's the biblical prescription? Call them and tell them. It's not to just post it online hoping and praying that they would see it or posting it online because now your emotions feel better that you did something about it even though you did nothing about it. The biblical prescription is that you would call them, that you would say, hey, let's go out to eat. I'll stay six feet away from you, but hey, let's go out to eat. Let's talk. That's the biblical format of doing that. And now the author gives us two practical ways to make sure that this deep brotherly love and friendship 
and affection and partnership would continue. Verse 2 and 3, he tells us, do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. So again, the warning is that we should have a love for the body of believers. Do you have a love for the body of believers? Now, the first practical way we do this is to entertain strangers. Now, what does this mean? Is the author asking me to be that guy with the electric guitar outside of Walmart at night playing with nobody watching? Am I the only one that has seen this, right? Trying to walk into Walmart, there's a guy with an electric guitar. I've seen a guy with a flute. I'm like, what in the world is going on here, right? No, that is not what the author of Hebrews is asking of us. This is the word hospitality, right? Maybe you've heard that word before. And in the Greek, that word literally means to have a love for strangers, right? To entertain strangers, to take care of strangers. And again, it's speaking of the body of Christ that you may not know. The body of Christ that you don't normally hang out with. The way that you're biblical and practical in making sure that the love of the brethren, that brotherly love is abiding within our church, that that brotherly love is abiding in your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is that you are willing to be hospitable to other Christians you may not know. Again, remember the context here. The people he's writing to are being beat up, bruised, losing friendships, losing businesses because of their faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. So would there not be room there to be brave for your own family and not invite other Christians over your home? Because if a Roman official catches me with other Christians gathering in my home, what's going to happen to me and my family? Right? Fear is always going to be around. Satan, he's just as Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Satan uses the same tricks he has always used, right? I just want to be comfortable. I just don't know those people. What am I going to say, right? What's, what if they're a Christian serial killer? What is going to happen, right? What am I going to do? We have to be, again, biblical. I hope more than ever as you come to this church you, that we will learn to be Biblical, disciples of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus. We can turn to Romans chapter 12. And peppered all throughout the New Testament, there is the common thread that Christians need to be hospitable. To the point that leaders within churches, being hospitable is always a commandment. It's always a part of the job description. It's always a part of the need. Hey, you want to grow within the church leadership? Hey, it's good that you want to grow, but are you hospitable? Because if you're not hospitable, you got to wait till the Lord does this in you for you to be a leader within the church. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 through 13, it tells us, we can start at verse 9. It tells us, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, 
bless and do not curse. Again, we should be given to hospitality. That's something we should be doing. And now our culture within America, if we're honest, it's not very hospitable. We're hospitable to those very close to us. We're hospitable to those that we're comfortable with. But to entertain strangers like this, some of us would never do that in a million years. But are we going to hold to our culture and the way we've always done things? Or are we going to hold to, Lord, I'm going to go by your word. This is uncomfortable. This is tough. But, Lord, I'm going to go by your word. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. Again, it says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. Got to be hospitable. You want to be a mature believer? You want to grow within the church? Hey, you need to be hospitable. Titus chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. Again, it tells us that you need to be hospitable if you want to be a bishop. You have to be a lover of what is good. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, we turn there. But the end of all things is at hand. And you're like, yeah, 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 right? Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And we say, what? Right? The end of all things is at hand. Pray more than ever. Be serious. Don't be wasteful in your life. Don't be sinful in your life. Continue to abhor what is evil. Continue to cling to what is good. And then above all other things, the one thing you should be making sure of is that you have a fervent love for the family of God. That's what you should be looking out for, that you have a fervent love for the family of God. Why? Because love will, be, will cover a multitude of sins. And then it tells us, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. That even after this, right, if you obey, if you hear that calling from the Lord and you invite some believers you just met over, it's not to be complained. Man, I hate, why, is I, why I go on Wednesday night? I never go on Wednesday night. I go in on Wednesday night. Now we try this. Now we have these randos come into our house, right? What's going to happen? No, that's not the heartbeat that we should have. Again, we need to be hospitable to other believers that you don't know. Those who are not your family members. Those who are not in your cliques. Those who are not your friends. We need to be biblical. We need to follow what the Bible says. We need to obey the Lord. We need to take steps of faith. But we also need to be wise and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to use discernment. Again, as we obey God's word, we need to be biblical. We need to be right down the middle. You need to be wise. You need to be wise. Be watching. Be praying. Be thinking, should I tag team this, right? Maybe my other friend, they're, they're great at cooking. Maybe, they ha maybe I have a little bit more space in my house. So we tag team it and we invite a couple new families over the house. Hey, that's using wisdom. If you're a single girl here, don't be thinking of inviting a guy over your house alone to be hospitable for Christ, right? If you're a single guy here, don't think about inviting five different ladies over to be hospitable, right? That's not being wise. But that we would be obedient. And maybe you've already received that calling, that burden in your heart. You saw someone and your heart 
had a burden from them. Because I think we all remember the first time we came into this church. And as, as the author will go on later, he says, hey, remember those leaders that led you, right, through the faith. Remember those first people that demonstrated the love of Christ to you. And be that to other people, right? Who, who was the one that invited you out to get coffee or the one that invited you to go fishing or the one that invited you to the prayer meeting or to come to the church or to eat a gyro after service? Who was that person? Remember them. Be that person for someone else that, again, we would be biblical. And now when we do this, some, they were hospitable to angels obeying the call of God, right? Abraham, Lot, tons of people throughout the Old Testament, they were hospitable to angels themselves. Finally, in Matthew chapter 25, you could just write it down, Matthew 25, 31 through 40, just read 35 and 40, it says, Jesus says, hey, when he comes and he judges the whole world, when he comes and he judges all the kingdoms, all of mankind, he'll tell some of us that we were gathered together as a sheep, and then the goats are to the left, the sheep are to the right, and he says, hey, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and hey, you gave me a drink. Because I was a stranger, and you took me in. And then in verse 40, they'll, they'll say, how in the world did we do this, Jesus? You didn't come into my house. And it says, the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. So again, family, may we grow in the hospitality, not for the people that you're always with, not with the people that you hang out with every week or every month, right? To strangers, that we would be hospitable. And that's, that's difficult for us, right? If we're honest, some of us, we can't have a conversation if it's not about us, right? That's what social media has bred is that we can only talk with people if it has to do with me. If it doesn't have to do with me, I don't know what to talk about in the conversation because I'm just so used to always talking about me, right? And there's other people in church and you think you're close to them because you follow them on social media. Oh, man, look at what they did. Oh, man, look, oh, look at that. Look at this. Have you ever said hi to them, right? Have you ever talked to them? We need to enter into this. This is important for us, right? The end of all things is at hand. Pray, be pure, have a love for the brotherhood, and be hospitable. The second practical way to do this is verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. And now we should remember them. And now the way we do this practically is we pray for them and we also give to them. Again, think of the context here, the total context here. First and foremost, there was barely any hotels during this day and age. And most of the hotels, kind of like most of the ones in A Street, they were really sketchy. Bad things would happen in these hotels, right? Bad things would happen in these hotels. So to stay pure, to stay holy, you would have to go spend time at another believer's house. And again, believers, when they're spirit-filled, they're so practical. They have their own handbook, right, on how to be hospitable. It says if they stay at your house one day, it's okay. If they stay at your house two days, it's okay. But if they stay at your house three days or more, they're a false prophet. That's, right? That's their manual. There's a manual for how to be hospitable. If they were a false prophet and they ask you for anything, it says only give them bread and send them out. Don't give them any money, any gold, any anything, right? The second part of this is the prison system, right, during the Roman Empire is not like today. There wasn't TV and, hey, you're on death row, so pick one meal, anything you want. There's nothing like that. There is no food. 
There was no bathroom. There was no gym, no books, no classes. There was nothing like that. So in order to survive in prison, you would have to have family members and friends that would come and bring you food. Family members and friends that would come and bring you that cloak like Paul asked for. Or come and bring you the books or the scrolls that you would want. Luke would have to come and tend to their wounds in the midst of the prison. So he tells us, hey, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Again, consider. Consider what it means to be a Christian in almost any other country in the world. Consider many, right, as a father, as a dad, as a husband, I have to put myself there. Many men that find their wife, their daughters raped in front of them, sold off into slavery, their sons taken off to become part of the war, and being put to death as the last thing you see. That's what our brothers and sisters are faced with every day, family. It's not mask or no mask. It's, Lord, I pray today is not my day. I hope today, following you, that it doesn't cause my whole entire family to be broken apart and disrupted, sold into actual and real slavery, right? Remember the prisoners as if you were chained with them. Remember them as if you were with them, being, being beaten, being raped, all because you did what? You loved Jesus. All because you had a Bible. All because you went to church. Remember those who are being mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. Again, remember God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. It says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Whether we realize it or not, family, we as a body of Christ, we should hurt. And we do hurt for our brothers and sisters all over the world who were put to death today for loving Jesus and following Jesus, right? Pray about ministries that you can donate to. Pray on, Lord, how can I give that cloak to a brother and sister that's a prisoner, that all they did was love Jesus and go to church and have a Bible. Now we go back, right, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 12, just practical Christian living. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 13, I'm sorry, verse 4, it tells us marriage is honorable among all. And the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Family, Christian, here in this earth, the best thing ever is having a friendship and relationship with Jesus Christ. The second best thing ever is having a marriage that's being done God's way. Being able to have a spouse that loves Jesus more than they love you, it's one of the greatest things ever in this world, in this side of eternity. It's an institution that God made during perfection. God's the one who created and made marriage. Not the U.S. Supreme Court, not the Pharisees of the day, not the Sadducees of the day, not Rome, not the U.S. of A. No, God is the one who created and instituted marriage. And guess what? God is also the one who made and designed and planned sex, right? Does God blush every time he talks about sex? No, not when it has to do with two married people under the will of God. It should be a beautiful thing. The marriage bed is undefiled. When you're doing that, you're being obedient to God's plan, right? So husbands, tonight you could tell your wife, hey, let's be obedient to God's plan, right? 
Let's, let's be practical, as Zach told us to be practical, right? That's what we should be doing. This is what God created. This is God's plan. It should, some, it should be something beautiful. It shouldn't be something that you have to turn all red, that your sons and daughters ask you about the birds and the bees, and think the pastors have a live Q&A on Friday. Son, let me give you the phone number, right? Why don't you ask them about the birds and the bees? No. This is something beautiful that God has created. And within the church, we can go to two extremes where we're living like the world and now sex and marriage don't really matter. But we can go to another extreme where sex, it's almost something that's evil and bad. And now you have young believers that they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear it because all their life it's just been treated as a taboo subject that we never talk about. And they follow you not as you say but as you do. Again, sex and marriage, it's great, it's beautiful, and it's being obedient to the will of God. But now sex, just like any other sin outside of God's institution, will be met with judgment. It will be met with judgment. In Matthew chapter 19, right, people say Jesus never spoke about sex or immorality or homosexuality. Matthew chapter 19, no, this is too important. Matthew chapter 19, let's turn there. This is an excuse that many people use. Matthew chapter 19, verse 7, it says, Then said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality which is fornication, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Again, the word there that Jesus uses in verse 9, it's not adultery. He says sexual immorality. He says fornication. That's any type of sexual act outside of the one man and the one woman who is married. That's it. So whether it's multiple people, whether it's a man and a wife, whether it's a woman and a woman, whether it's a man and a man, the sickness that we're getting into right now with the pedophilia, with the animals, with all the gross things happening, all of that is lumped up into one, right? For us to look at sin as what it is. There is sex God's way, one husband, one wife, for death do us part. Everything else is wrong. Everything else is sin. Pornography, again, homosexuality, all those other things, it's wrong. Having multiple partners, sleeping around, all of that is wrong. And what is the warning to us? But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Again, look at the author of Hebrews. He uses two different words on purpose. Fornicators, any type of sex outside of marriage. And then adulterers, those who are cheating, being unfaithful to their own spouses, God will judge them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, it tells us, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And now if that's where we're at, we should not stay there. Look how awesome verse 11 is. As such were some of you. That was me. That was each and every one of us. 
That was every single one of the pastors. He said, whoa, I ain't going to this church anymore, right? That was each and every one of us. That's the way we used to be. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Again, that's the option we have here tonight. We can either say, hey, I want to stay in my sin. And if I decide to stay in my sin and habitually live in my sin, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But now if I say, no, Jesus, right? Would you wash me? Would you take me? Would you love me? Would you free me from these sins? He says, hey, come here. I want to wash you. I want to justify you. I'm going to not just clean you up and you're going to have a bunch of scratches and bruises. No, no, no. I'm going to justify you, make you perfect just as if you never sinned. That's the heart of Christ for us. It's not to come down against certain sins and, and only have a hatred towards that sin. No, we should have hatred towards all sin. And if we're honest, the epidemic of pornography and adultery and divorce within church, it's been exploding for years. But do we talk about it? Do we hate it in the same way that we have a hatred towards other sins? Right? This all started off with abhor what it is evil and cling to what is good. That's the way we should be living as sons and daughters of God. We go back to Hebrews chapter 13. And then in verse 5, right? Next aspect of Christian living. Verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And again, if we're honest, the day and age we live in, we're being tempted with covetousness every single moment. Every single time we're on our phones, every single time we're watching TV, every time our neighbor, we're in Miami, there's nice cars, there's pretty people, there's expensive stuff. We are prone to covetousness. We're prone to saying, hey, I wish I had that. And I wish I could have that guy's that, right? I wish I could have that thing. I wish I could have those perfect kids I wish I could have that perfect spouse. I wish I could have that perfect car or that perfect job, that perfect house. That's being covetousness. That's being just not content with whatever we have. And now the reason we should be content is because we have Jesus. And now as a result of having Jesus, we should be content. We should be fine. We should be ecstatic. We should have joy. We should have peace. That's the way we should be living. Philippians chapter 11 through verse 13, right, such a famous scripture. This is a, a bell that we ring here a lot, right? What's the full context of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13? Verse 11, it tells us, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can be content in Jesus Christ. We can be content in any state that we're in. Listening to a teaching and he was shooting off some statistics, right? I believe it's if you have food to eat and a roof over your head, you are in the 93 percentile in this entire world. In this entire globe. If you ate tonight, you had a roof to go to in your house, you're, you're well off. 
You're in the top 7% of the entire planet. If you have shoes, right? I think everybody came here in their shoes. You don't have a no shoes, no service. But I think everybody came in here in shoes, right? If you have shoes, you're in the top 25%. 75% of the world doesn't even have shoes. Are we content? Are we happy? Right? Our health, we know brothers and sisters within our own church. Are we remembering them? Are we praying for them? Right? Are we thinking about them? And we should be content because we have Jesus Christ. Because the kingdom that I'm inheriting hasn't been touched. It's only getting made better and better each and every passing day because Jesus is getting it ready. Spurgeon, he says, here it is. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. This is the reason why we must not be covetous. There is no room to be covetous. There's no excuse for being covetous. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We ought to be content. If we are not content, we are acting insanely. Seeing the Lord has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, we have Jesus Christ, family. What makes heaven heaven? That Jesus is going to be there. So do you have Jesus today? Because then we should be living content. We should be living happy. We should be living filled with joy. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, right? Jesus told them, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus is with us. He's with, this, with us until this world and this kingdom vanishes away or he calls us home, whether it's through physical means or whether it's through trumpet and spiritual means, right? He's with us till the end of the age. Are we content? Are we excited about this life, right? Now in verse 6, now if we're living in this content manner, if we're living in a way believing, hey, he's with me. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. Verse 6, so we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And again, we're talking about our brothers and sisters in California. We need to be ready to be able to say this more and more. But being able to just share the gospel with someone is basically being able to say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What will man do to me? Being able to have a conversation about Jesus with the bank teller or the grocery person at Publix. Hey, that is saying, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus warns us, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, family, who are you more worried about? Your family? The people here at church? Your coworkers? The government? Who are you most worried about? Who do you give the most respect to? Because if it's not the Lord, we need to continue to grow. We go back to Hebrews chapter 13. Try to knock out these last three scriptures for tonight. It tells us, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about. With various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace. Not with foods which, have, 
which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. He starts off saying, hey, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Hey, remember those people in church that have led you, the leaders in church that have led you, that have been a father to you, a mother to you, a brother or sister to you. Hey, remember them. Pray for them. Care for them. And then look at their life and think about following them. Following in their footsteps, doing the same things. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, it tells us, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Again, are you obedient to some of the advice that the pastors here give you or the church leadership gives you? Again, we're not just giving advice because we want to be busy buddies, right? Many times you come and you ask for advice, and then we give it to you. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you say, why did you ask me? Why did you ask me, right? Don't be that person that goes to someone and says, hey, I want your advice on something. And then they give you their advice, and you go, nah, that can't be it, right? I'll go to the next person. Anybody love that interaction, right? You just love people doing that to you? No one enjoys that. So, hey, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Again, if their faith led you to grow and mature with Jesus Christ, if their faith led you to feel more at home and a part of the body of Christ, what if everyone in our church would do that to everyone who came in? Would there not be more of you? I think you guys are pretty awesome. I want more of you. So should we not do this to everyone that comes in? Following their example, following their faith, considering the outcome of their conduct. And again, thinking about them, praying for them. Again, each of the pastors, they're built differently. There's some of us that will fall asleep at night no matter what. There's others, they talk to a person and, man, they're weeping the whole night. They can't sleep for a week and we're ministering to one another. Because someone in the body is hurting. Because someone in the body, and they're not being faithful to their spouse. Someone in the body, they're thinking of leaving the church. Someone in the body, they're struggling with sin. Hey, think about them. Think about, again, the body. If one member in the body hurts, the whole body hurts. Just as much as the church needs godly leaders, it also needs godly followers. It needs you guys, right? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And again, why is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever? Because he's perfect. He is perfect. And there's no upgrading on perfection, guys. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all those promises in God's word, they are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Again, we should be content. We should be those warriors. We should have boldness because, hey, I am in Christ Jesus I'm abiding with him. So what can man do to me? I'm going to be obedient to him. I'm going to be obedient to him. So I'm going to weep with those who weep. I'm going to mourn with those who mourn. I'm going to be obedient to him. So I'm going to love on the new person that came to church. I'm going to be obedient to him. Finally, verse 9. And I love that this is the practical wisdom of God's word. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart... Be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Listening to one of the teachings made me laugh. Food, it can make a Christian healthier or less healthy, 
but food will not make a Christian holy or less holy. And there's just this obsession, right, within Christianity to create more rules and regulations and laws. Because I don't know about the ladies, but for the guys, we feel so much pride. We feel so much better than the other believer. Instead of having that agape love for them, we look down upon them because I'm doing more in my relationship with Jesus Christ than they are. So I am a better Christian than they are. That's not biblical. That's not being obedient to God's word. Again, be careful uh, abiding by different doctrines that create more and more religion. Our hearts are to be established by what? By grace. Not by law. Not by rules. Not by regulations. Not by turning a bunch of scriptures that you had to hear from another teacher. That you didn't come up with your own heart. Reading your devil solo between you and the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Be careful with different doctrines. They'll hurt you. They'll harm you. And the men here, which I see men struggle with it more than the ladies, it's going to affect your wife. It's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect your family, all because you couldn't let go of your pride. And saying, you know what? That's just probably some whack doctrine that's making me feel better about myself. And I'm not that great. Jesus is the great part of me, right? That we would live in those truths. So again, family, there's a ton of just practical wisdom. But may we do that. May we abide in Jesus Christ so that we can abide in all these other things.